yeah, it's been a long, long <laughs> while. We're sitting here with uh, Lenny and Jaxi and Tyler. And Hello. Hi. And we're just doing a quick sound check. Mm-hmm. I know, I meant to... I'm sure it's also... I mean, there's 30 days of gaming service. Yeah. Um, okay, so sound sounds good, and uh, we're here at Lenny and Jaxie's house, and uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Lenny. <laughs> this is the Lenny and Tyler show. <laughs> Man, it's been so long. <laughs> and uh, sorry that it's taken so long. We've we've all. We were just sitting here having dinner. They made some incredible pot roast and potatoes and other things that I just had. And um, we were catching up and just realizing how busy all of our lives have been. And um, So sorry to uh, any of you listeners that have missed us. I know Josh Llewellyn told me yesterday, he's mm-hmm. like, I really miss you guys doing your podcast and <laughs> need to get back on it so yeah. thank you josh and uh so today also can i open this wine yeah can I have a that's what bit it's of, here for ooh, what is this some red blend mm-hmm. um so today i thought <clears throat> i've been thinking a lot about postmodernism because somebody at my gym I do CrossFit. In oh, case you guys didn't know. Somebody at the gym made this comment about some art piece being postmodern, and then they kind of were like, "Actually, I don't even know what uh, postmodern mean. means." And that sent me down like this <laughs> spiral of like <laughs> explaining it to because yeah. I was like, "Actually, I have spent a lot of time thinking about this, especially in regards to art and especially yeah. architecture." Um, but uh, yeah, do you guys have? So I've I've written a thing on it uh, a couple weeks ago. I wrote it and then and then in the last day or two, I kind of just added to it a little bit too. So do you get? What do you guys think of when you think of the word postmodern? Mm, like deconstructionist as well. Yeah, like idea of taking all of the systems and the way things were and being like. We don't need to do it this way, so let's blow it all up and see what's underneath. <laughs> yeah. In general, you think of it in a positive light, or I mean, it's in a fun light, maybe. In it's a positive. fun light. <laughs> I don't find it the most. There's plenty of positive light, yes. negative light, and a fun light. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to deconstruct stuff. Sure. Okay. And I think ideally, it's part of a process that is positive but hmm. i think if it's stuck mm, going yeah, down ideally just the deconstruction rabbit hole then you just end right. up with right. nothing i think yeah. sad that you destroyed everything that you liked <laughs> yeah yeah <clears throat> and they do that it's like so amalogous to like if they're like modern is like what like the world war ii and then like 50s era and then anything after that's technically postmodern. Yeah. So we'll use postmodern. We use modern as anything for right now, even. And we use postmodern as just anything after that, really. 
we use wait we say use that modern again. we we use the term modern even just meaning so like our current like our current era you know yeah. yeah and then postmodern I think just means anything that's <laughs> kind of outside of the a structure or system okay yeah it's a funny it's it's funny because it's like it's a slippery term yeah it's um because yeah modern obviously means current times but modern was also a time period at least within art and architecture and i think literature and music yeah that now we've moved beyond and so now we have to have a term for a different (laughs) but defining what like knowing what those what are the indicators of having moved from one to the other I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. That's kind of what I want to my thing talk about. All right. Any thoughts, Jaxie, or should I just jump into Yeah, I think you should jump into it. Okay. So, um, okay. So it starts out with talking about uh, art and architecture. And I think, I think the working title of this is, for this essay, is... Um, the age of foe um, on postmodernism, navigating art, architecture, and our political climate. So the other day, a friend used the word postmodern to describe something and then admitted that he wasn't sure what that term meant. I hear occasionally from others a general disdain for anything postmodern, attaching it mostly to the idea of relativism and a shift away from belief in absolute truth. Also, if at any point like something that I say strikes you as wrong or, or, or just, comment, yeah, just yeah you in. want to comment, just jump in. So it's a I'll do that then. Okay. <laughs> so I think that like a lot of people um, think of postmodern as this um, as attached to relativism, shift away from absolute truth. Um, while I think this is fairly accurate, I find it helpful to understand the term through the lens of architecture. So in our uh, objectivism, I think it's another term that yeah. gets put, you know, put in, in contrast with. Yeah, which would be that we can stand objectively yeah, apart from that, yeah, something from and judge it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and postmodernism kind of questions that whole. Right, kind of just makes um, everything subjective, which yeah. then makes it more relative as well. Yeah. yeah. So in architecture, we broadly have three main styles. Classical, modern, and postmodern. Classical was mainly Greek and Roman. This included archways and ornate columns, temples, cathedrals, and castles. And then later, uh, modernist architects emerged on the heels of the Enlightenment. Which, for me, the uh, shorthand that I kind of have for the Enlightenment is that it was a, a shedding off of many long-held beliefs in the light of new scientific findings on uh, new scientific findings on one hand and then Martin Luther's uh, reformed Christian insights on the other. So classical tradition was being kind of shaken from two different spots from within and from without. Um, And many of these modern architects were motivated by egalitarian ideals and began to emphasize function over form. So early on, there there was this 
I forget the architect who came up with it, but this mantra of form follows function, which means forget about what a building looks like. What matters is what the building does, the function that it serves. Um, which I think arises mostly out of like um, the the horrible working conditions and living conditions of the proletariat class where you had this mass urbanization you had tons and tons of people who were farmers and leaving behind their traditions and moving into the city and getting caught up in capitalism and working in factories working in horrible working conditions and that's where marx is uh saying what is it all that was solid turns to dust mm -hmm. or turns to something like that something like dust or melts away and what he's talking about there is everything all these solid traditions beliefs they they just go by the wayside so anyways, I think that modern architecture arises out of this problem of horrible living and working conditions. And you have uh, then the ability to, um, at the beginning of the early 1900s and in, in the 1800s, to, to build um, like uh, multi-story complexes that could be kind of egalitarian housing that could provide egalitarian housing so so modern architects were more interested in developing housing for the used and abused proletariat class and suddenly with the rise of industry and the invention of steel beams we could build 50-story buildings in which all were afforded the same basic living conditions so then if i think of a stone column as something indicative of classical architecture and a steel beam as a sort of symbol for modern architecture, postmodern architecture then is best symbolized by a faux column on top of a steel beam. It appears one way on the surface, but is entirely a different, a different substance underneath. This is where I actually yeah. want to spend most yeah. of the time talking, is understanding this difference between appearance and substance, form and function, talk and walk. Um, it's the difference between something authentic, something that's handmade, and something that's merely mass-produced to look handmade. So that's why I say yeah. this is, we live in the age of faux. Everything is a vernier. It's yeah. just so thin. This is like, it's this difference. It's just the, the fake vinyl bricks that have you know, a couple millimeters, of, yeah, a couple yeah. millimeters of texture that you stuck on the wall, so it looks like it was brick. You know, they have these brick molds that they just like push. <clears throat> yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah. Pull it out, yeah. and then it just looks. Might as well be Play-Doh. Yeah, which is the same, right? That we can all do with our own lives with social media. Mm -hmm. sure. We can appear very easily one way, and of course, cry ourselves to sleep. A few millimeters yeah. thick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so, and then I would say <clears throat> that we. Uh, we readily spot this disconnect between outward shine and inner substance when looking at others, especially those we disagree with. Mm. People on the left see the hypocrisy of Trump calling for a return to moral principles, despite his being a playboy and an unscrupulous capitalist. People on the right see the hypocrisy of the left and its fear 
and fight against fascism, while at the same time they're kind of creating more and more rules, cancel culture, political correctness. Right. Here's what you must do and say. That sort of thing. Um, so it's been said that postmodernism is marked by a general skepticism of meta narratives, uh, which I would say is like meta narratives, at least the way I understand it, is it's the stories that we tell that make sense of our chaotic world. It's the stories we tell that basically salt that uh, so this is why deal are... with the problem of evil or the problem of pain. Um, so, uh, and I would say that because of this widening gap between appearance and substance, we see a growing distrust in science, experts, and the media amongst people on the right, and a growing distrust of tradition of our inherited Christian meta-narrative amongst people on the left. So I feel that postmodernism is, is this widening gap between how something looks and the truth, and the truth of, what it is. of what it is. That would almost be like my shorthand for the thing, sure. for the whole thing. So in this sense, then, I feel that postmodern is, postmodern is not so much a term referring to a specific ideology, but is more like the water we all unknowingly swim in, a confusing, swirling tide of skepticism, distrust, and irreverence, strangely mixed with tribalism, and certainty. So that's kind of where I left off. Could you read that first sentence again? Yep. Um, so I feel that postmodernism is not so much a term referring to a specific ideology, which I feel that people on the right, mostly Christian conservatives, say you can't be postmodern, while at the same time I would just say, well, you, we all are. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. you are too because... Because it's just the time we live in where you're going to pick and choose which narrative you're going to trust. I don't trust these reports on COVID. I don't trust this recount and this, you know, like, how do we ever get to the bottom of a lot of what's happening? Like, right So how do maybe you'll address this, maybe where we don't have to discuss it, but how do you avoid being that then? In this... In social media era, in this yeah. era that we're in now, how do you not deconstruct? How do you, yeah, yeah? Do you have thoughts on that? I, I do, yeah. For another day. No, okay. no, maybe we'll get to it. Yeah, okay. I heard one thing recently that is if we can't agree on what's true, we can't ever shorten that divide between, just like specifically political ideology, but. If it's, you know, because now that you can find any any idea you have, you can find an article or somebody to back up exactly. the thing that you already want to say or hear. Yeah. And so if we have no way and no motivation to agree with anyone else on what is true and what isn't true, then there's there's no coming back from that. It's just, yeah, it's just more deepening chasm of... And I what think that you're that picking is... and choosing to have as the yeah. fake That's... column on your steel beam. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's very relevant. And the other side to that coin that I see is this: there's just no more civil conversations. Mm-hmm. There's no more. So even if we want to dig deep, there's it just 
it's too painful for some reason and it just is so divisive yeah and it, I think it's digging deep is painful and so the easier thing is to just shout about how correct you are instead of having to dig into the painful reasons of why you think mm-hmm. the thing you do and i i agree with that and i think most people would it just i'm not seeing civil conversations anymore yeah. it's just so hard to you know have both sides in the same room anymore and i think yeah. that is where that gap is you know so yeah we can't find out what the truth means or we can to me and you can to you but more important in my what i've been seeing is just that even if i that's the hill i'll die on i won't invite you in my home i won't share a meal with you i won't have a civil conversation and i just think that that's yeah so that's where i think um creating spaces and um creating spaces where we i think as some call it where we libidinally disinvest from caring about some of these things what did those spaces look like? I would say like story night definitely right. is that. So that's like to me why that's such an important night. Um, and maybe even like community churches maybe even were more of that because you knew you couldn't get away from anybody else in your community for like a smaller one, you know. You're always going to have so-and-so's on that farm and so-and-so's that come yep. from over here and you know so you, there's there is a, some level where you have to be like well i'm not going to agree with you but this is this is our one gathering space yeah. that this and if we were from montana so that also makes sense to me anyway yeah. it's like that this farming community is going to get together yeah and so there's even the disagreements that happen within that yeah you know as it would you know you have to just like put aside some of them for yeah. the sake of like this is where our community happens <laughs> yeah like this is where absolutely yeah I think this is where the second part of what I've written is going to. And just to piggyback on that, I would say I actually just heard this guy. uh, He just passed away this year. Um, Oh, gosh, I can't think of his name right now. It'll probably come to me. Alex Trebek. No. Um, But he he was this British intellectual. He just, just passed in January. But he he talks about like that we have to become reconciled to our neighbor mm. and kind of go, yeah, like these are the people that are around me. These are the, like, the, 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 he's almost arguing for a sense of nationalism that is good, that isn't necessarily ex- excluding other people, but is pride in where I come from. Mm-hmm. And yep, they've got, we've all got our problems, but I love these people. Um, so, but the idea of reconciliation and also enjoyment is what I want to talk about in the next part. So, um, but I, I really want to also focus on this difference between appearance and substance and then see how that actually plays itself out in other areas of our lives. So, The distance between outer appearance and inner substance is found in many other areas of our lives. In language, the difference is articulated by the slippage between signifier, the sound we make, and the signified, the object or idea to which the sound refers. This gap is revealed in the old saying, the hand that points at the moon is itself not the moon. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. 
so if I point at the moon, you look at my hand, and then it points you to, towards the moon, but it itself is not the moon. Okay. Yeah. Which, this is like a word. Okay. Like, so when I say Jaxi, the sound I make is the signifier, but that is not actually you. Okay. It, or there's a bit of a difference. Yes. It kind of both is you and isn't you. Okay, yeah. And with terms like postmodern, like, that's where it gets really tricky because the signifier could mean a lot of different things to okay. a lot of different people from the signifier. Yeah, yeah. So, um, this disconnect accounts for a whole list of various feelings. Imposter syndrome is the experience of our internal conception of ourselves not lining up with the external title that others give us. This means that no title, no letter, no signifier can ever quite grasp a person's entire subjectivity. Now, I'm kind of going out on a limb, on a limb here. I think that this is Slavoj Žižek's position. So because of that, this is why Slavoj Žižek... Um, if I'm understanding him correctly, he desires to be identified as a plus, and plus in inverted commas, um, in the list of signifiers in LGBTQ+. Normally, the plus is thought to signify the place for the future letters we haven't yet realized are needed in the list. However, for Zizek, the plus can also signify the idea that no signifier ever fully grasps a person. Mm. Yeah. So this difficulty in closing this gap may lead some, um, may, may lead those concerned with uncovering their true selves to despair. However, the situation can also be looked at as an enjoyable and ongoing failure to ever be fully grasped. Becoming reconciled to that fact that one feels a contradiction between their internal experience and their external appearance is needed. One may bring the two into closer alignment, but the gap, I think the gap always returns. And I would say that the most, the times when life feels like when I, I felt most fulfilled has been when I'm doing something externally that aligns with how I feel internally about something. And like love is the greatest of those things. Absolutely. Um, and like holding your beloved. Um, or doing other things. <laughs> um, so... Um, so one may bring uh, the two into closer alignment, you know, bringing into alignment how I feel internally and trying to align my external reality with that. Um, but, but that gap, I think, kind of, it does seem to return. Um, in psychoanalysis, this... Um, the... Uh, this enjoyment of such a gap or failure is known as enjoying your enjoyment. That 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 for them would be the almost like the cure is enjoying the not having um, or becoming reconciled to almost in the same way that you become reconciled to your neighbor, 
become reconciled to the fact that like oh no ter- external term or thing to... ever fully gets me sure and almost enjoying when somebody calls you by the wrong name or by the wrong title or okay. like when you're kind of misrecognized mm-hmm. um So for them, uh, the word enjoyment, so enjoying your enjoyment, that's kind of the goal in psychoanalysis. The word enjoyment in that is, uh, refers to the sort of pleasure that one feels in the build-up to Christmas as opposed to the pleasure one feels when you finally unwrap the gift. Just to clarify what yeah. that means. So this difference between the pleasure of not having anticipation and the pleasure of finally having which you could call there's just there's like a difference there that we use enjoyment or we use anticipation and ecstasy maybe foreplay and something else okay okay so lastly um not only is this disconnect gap slippage found in language but also it's found in our consciousness in this area the disjointedness is known as the difference between desire and demand this gap can be seen in the example of a child who's told to never resolve violence with violence however when the child does not stand up for themselves and reports back to the parent that the child knows they've fulfilled the demand of uh, 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 sorry so when the, so the child isn't supposed to resolve violence with violence, but then they don't stand up for themselves. Then they report back to the parent. They've fulfilled the demand, but they haven't fulfilled the desire of the parent. Because something they realize from the parent... Is that the parent that, wanted them to... That they wanted them to back or get back, yeah. In some way. That is the child's realization? Or the parents' realization. Yeah, the ch- the child, and maybe they don't even consciously kind of like perceive, like th- think that all the way through. But they know that so- somehow I did what I was told, but I didn't do what they actually wanted me to do. Okay. And and that I would say is so. This difference that I've been talking about goes all the way to our consciousness, which is consciousness and unconsciousness, which is what psychoanalysis is so much about, which basically is just like, I thought I wanted this, but <laughs> but then when I got it, I didn't. I realized that I didn't. Yeah. Or it's not, yeah, it's never, it's never enough or it's never a thing, which I think is kind of plays into postmodernism too because you have like a structure like oh here's a structure i'm supposed to fulfill this job and then you know a deconstructionist or postmodern thoughts can be like well this isn't fulfilling what it's supposed to be fulfilling you know like this is supposed to set up these good things and it doesn't always do that so it's not valid we should destroy it (laughs) or like we should yeah be done with it um what what would be what would be an example of that? Like something that we have deconstructed. Sure. I mean, the easiest one to pick on is just like a religion or that. Yeah. You know, like this is supposed to fulfill these base things that humans need. Yeah. And we see it not do that so often that we're like, 
that's must not be must not be anything because it's yeah. not doing the thing that's supposed to the setup is supposedly do. Yeah. Or even like you can do with government, you know, saying government's supposed to, you know, depending on what you think, <laughs> take care of this these people in these ways. And if it doesn't do that, then we need to deconstruct it and change it or make it do something else. Yeah. Or you get to the point where you're like none of these things, none of these systems are ever going to do it. You know, no matter no matter the Christmas present, it will never do what the anticipation for it does. Mm-hmm. And so then you think you have to do something from that point, either slip into nihilism or work towards a few things that you think you can change. But with a yeah, kind of the realization that even if you come up with things that work well for a while, that they're not timeless and going to last forever and as functional as yeah. they were. Which is maybe good. Because <clears throat> everything has seasons, so the idea that like, some stuff works for a while and then doesn't, we should maybe not be as upset about that as just realizing that's part of growth and death cycles in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think especially when, you know, like when one generation builds something up and the next generation doesn't like it or appreciate it, I think there's like that but uh, betrayed, <laughs> you know, like this was such a good thing for me and the people that were like me. <laughs> How could this other group not appreciate it, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's just, it's always going to happen. And so maybe at least enjoying enjoyment is just being prepared for the next group of people to build the next thing that might be in opposition to the one you you spent your time and effort yeah. on. Yeah. Would I, I think that enjoying your enjoyment is also kind of reconciling yourself to the idea that we'll never I'll never quite be understood. Mm-hmm. I'll never I'll never which means that then conversation can continue to happen again and again and again. Without. Sure, and kind of when you get when you put someone in a box, you're totally taking all of that away from them. You say, yeah. "I understand you completely, and everything you could possibly yeah come up with," and kind of devalues them in that way. We talked about this, I think, at one point in the podcast about, or maybe it was a different conversation, but something like the opposite of fear is curiosity. Mm. Were you and I talking about that? I don't know. Something like that. <clears throat> but just, there's another quote I'm going to butcher, but just like to overcome difficult conversations or to maybe try to listen more, just mm. have genuine curiosity. And I think if you can. Yeah. Well, that makes me think of what if, so also within, within psychoanalysis, a big part of what uh, Lacan was about was the theory of desire. Um, which, like, which would be like, why are why would you, why would you remain curious? And as you're saying, it's the overcoming of something. So for him, the so the overcoming almost in this, like as I'm talking, is what is Tyler getting at? Sure. I'm and I'm butchering things as I go, and it's kind of like those become the obstacles. For Lacan, the 
um, he, he calls it the object of desire and then the object cause of desire. Okay. Is So you have the thing that you desire and then you have the object cause of desire, which is the obstacles that get in the way. Okay. That it's like, oh, if I could just get this out of the way, then I could get to the thing that I want. Okay. And it, like, it might be, well, like, I kind of wonder if, Chris, if, like, God and Christianity is true because it actually fulfills both these things. Because, for, well, for one, like, God is that, at least in the life of Paul, he was the object of desire. Paul wanted to follow God. Or Saul, I should say, at that point. Then this obstacle gets in the way that's derailing the the Jewish people around him. And he wants to s- squash that rising up of people who are starting to follow this Jesus guy. But then he finds on the road to Damascus that the object caused the obstacle that was getting in the way of him getting back to God mm-hmm. and getting people getting his people back to God is itself the object of desire. So I wonder if that is actually why when God says don't put anything else before me um that then means that like if if you two keep God in your own individual lives as the object that you're moving towards, that means that the other person can't be that, which then becomes the obstacle that causes you to then desire the other person as well. Because otherwise you put them in that position exactly. and something else becomes the, the distractionary... I think there's a lot of misconception around that idea too, though. You know that that I, yeah, or the over romanticized person in your life is going to complete you, mm-hmm. or this, or whatever it is, person or not, this object of your desire is going to be the thing that, and it's it never is, yeah. and it, it is always God. And, and if you have an unattainable thing like the getting closer to God as the object of desire than object. What's the other one? Object. The object cause, which is the obstacle. Is is the obstacle. Yeah. Which I would say with God, if God is the the object of your desire, he's also the obstacle to your desire in the fact that he's never really fully present with us. Like he kind of is and he isn't. I think that that is. He's not, he's not, Present in the sense that you are that present. Lenny is present. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you kind of have him. You pray. You feel as though he's answered your prayers at different times. But at the same point, you have to still follow and seek after him. There's still something that's kind of always in the way in between you. And yeah. You're not immediately experiencing him. So, so you kind of have him and you both, and you don't have us, which is kind of this idea of like super positioning. It's like, mm-hmm. we need something, we need to desire something that both 
that is in this state of superposition. And not have. Yeah. Yeah. Which, all of this for me is, like, endlessly fascinating. Because, like, a painting is also that. Because, or a word is that. Jaxi is that. But a painting, we'll stick with that example. Like, a painting of Glacier Park is that, but it also is not. It, it, it's... So if I were to sit there in front of St. Mary's Lake, like, that's a beautiful experience. And I might sit there for 15 minutes, and then I'm like, all right, <laughs> like, I'm ready to move on. I got to move on with my life. Like, this is incredibly beautiful, but I can't, I can't live in this forever. But it almost like the, the majesty of that scene can almost take something from me that then causes me to go, I need to capture this in mm. some way. Okay, yeah. I need to arrest this, like, feeling of almost terrible awesomeness. And so a painting can kind of do that. So that then I can hang it on my wall. I can go look at it and kind of, like, admire the scene. And then I can go on with my life. Like, <laughs> I can keep keep moving so in in that way like a painting both is the thing and isn't the thing so it it also is kind of in this superposition <laughs> that's, that's good i i started to think about that when i was down in california and i was sitting there at the redwoods or not the redwoods the sequoia national forest and it was just this kind of frustrating experience of this is these trees are so big and there's nothing I can do like no photograph because I'm taking pictures on my phone and I can't even think of how I would paint these they're just too big to ever capture I like I'm at a loss (laughs) and I want to somehow Capture it. Like, yeah, capture it. Arrest this frustrating feeling. That's that's kind of what got me thinking about yeah. all that. Perhaps that's like perhaps that's why some people purchase a painting is they're frustrated by <laughs> or or take a picture or have a you know pick yeah. up a shell or a rock mm-hmm. or a, have a memento from this to mm-hmm. go. I can't keep it here. I can't be here forever, but this will always remind me, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I think we're supposed to do that. I think that we, you know, because we can't be in his presence, so we're surrounded by his things that glorify him all the time, and then we only get a minute of it, you know? <clears throat> but, is it an Ebenezer? Is that the, like... Stone yeah. yeah. But that's to, you know, to remember. You're supposed to look at it, and you're supposed to... Something think happened something. here. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so... I think we just, we lose, we have too many mementos everywhere, though, sometimes I think. So yeah. you just can't, you, your little tiny brains can't remember all of the, yeah. all of the glory, you know. You remember, like, fondly, oh, yeah, I got that on the beach. But at the time, when you brought it with you, it was, like, so, you know, it's everything. At least for me, those mementos are, I don't paint, but I collect a little, a leaf or a, mm-hmm. a thing, you know, and... And then over the years, you know, you're like, I don't remember what that was for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to throw this rock away now because it means nothing to me now, you know, but. 
But maybe, like, I think a painting kind of works in that, oh, this was something that captured that. But somebody put, like, the more time invested into, like, if somehow, somehow you collected enough things from that and made something from it, then it's like, and put labor Mm -hmm. power into it, then you're like, well, I sacrificed a lot to do this, which kind of brings us around to that sacrifice. Imbue step of meaning. Mm -hmm. That value is inherently tied or is somehow integrally tied to sacrifice. sacrifice. So someone couldn't value a copy of your painting as much as the real one? Maybe, but maybe that would be tied to their own sacrifice in... In um, there, there'd be a little bit of knowing that the artist had to slave away for a handful of years to get to this ability to do this, but also I paid I don't know two hundred bucks for the whatever, and that two hundred bucks means fifty shots pulled on the espresso machine, or you know. I think maybe it went up the biggest problems is people don't think of things in terms like that. I don't think, I don't think we consciously do. Right, but we should. Yeah. I think. We just sometimes look at the that like, would is this worth that? You know, but how much did how much went behind that? Who created it? What was the sacrifice in getting this product? And what you know, it's just too easy to. And and maybe even dollars isn't really the right way to think of it. It has like time and years and things that somebody else that somebody could have been doing instead of this you know <laughs> the thing you made dear a lot sorry oh. that like i had wanted to get it processed by somebody else but their coolers were full so i had to do it myself mm. and at the end of it all i was like i would gladly pay somebody else to do this because not just because it took so much of my time but they're an expert they mm-hmm. know the cut of that deer just perfectly, and they're going to make the right slice. And here's me hacking away at it, taking what for sure would be three times as long as anyone processing it professionally would do it. And you're just like, I'm like, that's what I'm paying for. And it might actually save me money because they're going to get me probably more of that meat than I was able to with my very dull knives. And you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Like, there's, you need to. Yeah, sorry then, this is another soapbox. But just like paying people for their expertise. Like what? how long did it take them to get to where it was just that quick before mm-hmm. they, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight and yeah. Do you think that you'll um, enjoy this meat more? No, knowing that you not. Nope. No? Nope. <laughs> and then I thought of that too. I was like, then for sure. There was a bit, there's a pride as I cleaned the last bit and was like that. I did it. I did it all. Um, but n- no, I, <laughs> I also, I dressed it and I hauled it out of the woods and I like, I felt a lot of pride in that moment too. And that's what I was going for. Yeah. <laughs> Paying a professional, the, you know, boosting their economy. That's fine with me too. Yeah. And I'll feel pride when I cook it up and serve family and go, yes, I did that. But mm-hmm. I don't have to be the one to grind Do it the whole to. entire thing. For yeah. sure, though, and because I grew up doing it. that We'd have whole times where we'd like, 
the whole family's out, you know, rolling packages and marking elk and putting it in the deep freeze. And so I know, I think it does, I appreciate it more when someone else does it because I know, oh yeah, yeah this yeah. is a lot of work, you know, but yeah. Lenny also feels immense pride because he helped package and grind and clean it too. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I guess I was, when I brought up the painting copy type thing, think, trying to touch back a little bit to, you know, the, the fakeness, you know? There's this, like, replica culture. Yeah. Or, like, I have that, but you don't. You don't yeah. have the original. You don't have that. Or you don't know the story behind something. And But it's hard to look at what somebody else has and go, like, oh, oh you you find yourself, I guess, in the same judgy boat. You know what I mean? Like saying you couldn't find value in that or assuming that they don't, I don't know. You just can't look at social media either or someone's life or what they have as their trinkets or their Ebenezer and go, I know what that means to you. Or I can assign this value because I have the original and you don't or I had to work really hard for it or... Yeah. Oh, even with, I guess, with the deer thing, too. People saying or thinking through, like, well, don't you feel more pride doing it yourself? Almost comes with, like, this big old guilt trip, you know, of, like, you you should be the one to see this through. And it's like, I don't have any... that For me, that has no... I feel no pull to that. No. Mm -hmm. But for somebody else, yeah, that's really, really important, you know? Yeah. Buying the painting that the artist did, that is really, really important. Some people, that wasn't that, you know, oh, that's great. That For, for them, it's just about the image. Yeah. Yeah. And not the, the thing itself. Maybe. I don't know. But again, it just is one of those things where you're like, yeah. you just, I don't know. It's, it's easy to sit back and judge the, the brick mold. You know, I go, that's not real brick. That's just, right. a, you know, plaster, whatever. But, like, somebody might love that plaster brick. You know, I don't know. Very postmodern. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah, this is interesting. I haven't thought of this in regards to an original piece of art and a print. Mm. But I, but I will now. Well, I love Starry Night. I mean, that's really, really basic of me, but I do. But I'll never own it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean... But I mean, and I've, we have a, where is it? Oh, in the guest room, we have a Fogo, right? It's just yeah, like a Van Gogh so. style painting of a tree. Or is it a paint? Is it one of his? I mean, obviously it's not right. a Van Gogh. No. Yeah, we have a Van Gogh in our guest room, actually. Nice. No, we don't. But, print of it, yeah. but I love it because it's. But, but see, the point that I'm making, that we were kind of making about yeah. sacrifice and value, that, that, that those two are, are connected would still be there with a print of Starry Night because it's a Van Gogh. Because he never he never experienced any um like success during his lifetime. He died before okay, b before it, you know, he ever got to experience it. So I th I think at least but okay. I think that at least works with that. Um, but I wonder, you, but, 
but I'm trying to think of like other people who like if I were to make prints of my work, which is this is all interesting to me because I don't make prints of my work. I have possibly. a print of your work, kind of. I bought a whole series of your greeting card things. Yeah, I know, and it's not the size, it's not the thing. But I actually had them up on my work desk because I was like, I'll probably never have yeah. a, an original Murphy in my home. But I have these cards and yeah. they were like $5. And so, and I love it. And yeah, so kind of you have prints out there. Just But see, they matter to you because you've sacrificed to be my friend. Okay. I think. I think okay. that that has something to do with it. Sure, yeah. That, like somehow sacrifice is always... Yeah. In this, yeah, I don't, I don't think. And then we, so we build all these things not on sacrifice but on ease, and then we're upset that we're unfulfilled and have no value, and everything's fake. Yeah, because we didn't sacrifice anything to get anything that we have. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, it chips the moment you bring it in the house. And you're like, ah, this veneer the sucks. Veneer. Yeah. But back to the very beginning of it all. I just like the mm-hmm. is back to the civility, I think. I just that's just sitting in my mind that like I don't know. We have to keep having conversations, creating space. Yeah. You know. And if you ever find in your own heart that you're not creating space for whoever is around you or whatever, you have to really shine a light on that, I think. Yeah. Cause otherwise things are and it can get really ugly and it's looking really ugly and I just think that that is not yeah yeah I don't want my boys to ever have this thought like well he doesn't believe what I believe or so I'm not really friends with him because of that and I would be like no way you know Mm -hmm. we yeah we always have people over we always you just gotta love people and yeah I think it must be too like when you're insecure about things that you think and feel it's maybe harder to tolerate other people's opinions because you're nervous about those destroying what you want to hold I guess and I feel like maybe the more secure of a person you are the more room you have for differentiating opinions and I think that that security can sometimes come across as you think you're secure and that's why you you are so loud about your ideas and your opinions. But I think real security looks like being able to say, "I know what I am about, but I'll listen to you." We tend and to inquire, I want, you know, I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah, and that curiosity or that like, "Oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that?" You know, instead of like curious, blustered yeah, up and yeah, just like more curious and you know, quieter than right. Um, I think, uh, what, to maybe wrap this up, um, what do you guys think of also one of the ways I've thought of postmodern art or postmodern anything would, would kind of be, especially within art, it would be that which um stands on the shoulders of tradition while at the same time critiques that that mm-hmm. tradition it borrows from 
but at the same point critiques it which we need to do that in some cases like there are lots of things that have been handed to us that need to be critiqued but then there's also and and that's that's the way that i've come to understand at least postmodern art is it's like what i do is traditional i would say i'm looking at a thing i'm, I'm trying to be accurate to real life and that comes the only way i can do that is from lots and lots of years of people passing on a baton of how to do that but then postmodern art is it's taking it's taking that baton but then at the same point critiquing the culture out of which that arose which again i would say like there's plenty to critique but after a while, I do find that, like my friend Clay, who's in New York, he's like, man, it's so nice to just see good art that is just representing the beauty of this world rather than, as he put it, like going to an art exhibition that's just nothing but a person putting their personal issues onto a canvas, like th their problems and trying to work that out on canvas. Sure. Yeah. I think it's just not as relevant to me with the art analogy thing. So I'm trying to, my silence is more trying to think through like what that, because even I hear you say that and I'm like, wait, that's bad to put your art and your, your feelings on art. Mm. And no. But it would be postmodern. That's what you're saying. Like postmodern art, it would be like you're not painting the beauty of the world. Yeah, maybe. maybe yeah, like kind that. of a skeptical eye towards everything. Okay, sure. Yeah, a critical eye. Yeah. Towards everything instead of one of just gratitude. Right. Yeah, and yeah, I hear what you're saying. But we we do need that. Yeah. There's there's a lot of necessity to in every field, science especially. You know, to go. We just got to keep questioning, mm -hmm. you know, to find new things. But, but then, yeah, I can sympathize with your friends. Just like there's just such a relief. And, and in people, too, people that are really grateful. I find myself mm. grateful back. Just mm -hmm. like oh, it's such a breath of fresh air that you're not griping, you know, <laughs> like or that that there's not some. And we all I, and we're all guilty of it sometimes of just being in a slump or being going through a phase or something. I don't know, but, but it, and it's necessary to air your grievances and get that out, but just need to be the kind of people that are grateful. Are grateful yeah. yeah. And find the good in things, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I just heard one of those just neuron things too. The ones you use are the ones you strengthen. And if you use your deconstructive, skeptical angsty neurons the most those that would be the ones that you have the most see the world through the most and use mm -hmm. you're grateful yeah ones the most that's what you're going to see the world through yeah yeah that and and that causes me to like look at people i grew up around a lot of the traditions that i've been handed to look at them with a kinder eye and go there might be something to this absolutely and i don't want to be too quick to dismiss I, the, the, the 
saying that I've I've um, repeated this on the podcast in the past, but it's don't don't be too quick to dismiss um, hearing that which you never heard. Um, yeah, and I so there's been several uh, clients recently that I I would say. I'm I'm a hundred percent opposite of mm-hmm. the way they parent, of the way they, I'm everything they do. I'm like you know that's not that's not how I go about things. That's not. And I got to thinking through <clears throat> one day and talking with a friend, genuinely about this this wild idea to me, in parenting. And I just I realized you know what though at the end of the day, where she's coming from, is to create a space that is not confusing for her children, mm. to create a, a loving space. Because I, I look at her and I think, yeah, of course you you are a good parent. You are, yeah. you know? And I think we're so quick, too, to just go like, I've that's ridiculous, and yeah. or it's not the way that I've always done it. On, on either right. you know, spectrum is going like, tradition is all there is. If yeah. you don't do it the way I did it, you know, and, and my parents are definitely traditionalists yeah, of this, yeah. like, you know, well, why don't you do it the way we taught you? You're fine. And I'm like, clearly I'm not fine. But also, <laughs> it's okay to question it, to look at it and chew the meat. I'm just glad you see it. Yeah, right? <laughs> Everybody is. And, <laughs> but realizing this mom loves her children. I know that. There's yeah. not a question about that. It's just different, you know. And I can get I can get behind the idea that you want to create a safe not confusing environment for your children that's where that's that's the the baseline and then i was like we're not that different yeah you know and that but people really we, i mean you would think no you are your absolutely. intentions are very similar for your actions to right be, yeah but i think that, conclusions to be quite a bit different yeah and of course the right and the left are very different but i think there's we can find a lot of similarities we do want a lot of the good same things and we can get to that like mm-hmm. the neighbors that's different yeah. from me well, but we're just, still yeah, in it together arguing, we're yeah. we're proud to be neighbors and we're you yeah. know it's arguing about what the process is to get to the good part you know yeah. it's like how do you get to the good part these ways these ways now let's fight about which way to get to the good things and you know said about it okay well let's end this conversation this podcast and then I want to keep talking with you guys about something that... Oh, we got an amber. Oh, no. Um, but let's... So, maybe on the next podcast, we'll talk about this once we hit Great. stop. And a little teaser for listeners. Tune in next I kind of want to talk about, <laughs> with you guys, the difference between traditional parenting and modern parenting. Whew. And... Are you creating a stoic child or are you creating a neurotic child? And I'll explain that. Those are the only two options. Stoic or neurotic. That's you guys. Fun light or Lenny's fun light. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll explain it to you guys here. And then we'll pick it up next week. That sounds good. Sorry, though, was there anything that. This has all been my topic. Nope, you're good. Stop it. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week, and be good to yourselves. Bye. Bye.